With that, I'm grateful to be here today. We, we have a text. You all been in the first book of Peter. And in the book of Peter, that's where actually Living Stones uh, received this name. Um, again, our church is Living Stones. And we've planted churches all over northern Nevada. Um, our, in, our, in our planning, uh, we have a plan to have 10 churches uh, by 2025. And God has been, because our passion has been, again, that Jesus Christ is known, that he is known. And our passion has been, again, to plant churches and put, make healthy churches in areas, again, that it may spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what it's about. If you're new here today, we're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him. He is the reason that we live and that we move and that we have our being. He is the redeemer of our souls. He makes life right. He, he aligns everything in our life that needs to be aligned. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And, and that's who we are talking about as we take a look at, again, uh, Peter here today. Now, normally at our church, um, we have three services. And that's, so to me, to preach one service today is, is great. <laughs> so the bad news for you is this. Normally in the first service that I preach, I get all the kinks out. I don't have that opportunity today. I just have to preach this first text. But I pray to God that you will receive um, what he is speaking to us in this text today. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump in to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And we're going to read there verses of 4 through 10. 4 through 10. And this is uh, what Peter writes in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. He says... As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a, the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Would you just, uh, just join me as we pray over God's word today? Father in heaven, we uh, come before you. God, that you may feed us uh, with your word. God, would you cause us to understand grace more by this text today? Would you cause us to see our Savior on the cross through this text? God, would you cause us to bow before you? Because you are a king, and you are mighty, and you are glorious. And so we submit ourselves to you during this time that we may hear for you. I pray that the Spirit would uh, open our ears, that we may hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and what it's saying to us. 
and that in all that is said and done today, that your son Jesus Christ would be exalted and that you would be glorified. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been you continuing in your series where you've been talking about exiles, and that's what the Apostle Peter is talking about. He's, he's talking about exiles. And what we're going to take a look at in this book is what uh, it looks like for you and I today as exiles. And that's one of the key words that is mentioned uh, in this text. And it's a word that you really need to become familiar with, that what does it mean to be an exile? Because an exile have a different view. And one of the things that you'll learn about an exile is that um, being in a certain place, in a certain location, that it is not your home. See, exiles are foreign to the land. They are foreign to the place that they're in. And that's what, who Peter is talking to. He's, he's talking to these exiles who has been dispersed. And what Peter had been talking to them about in the, the first chapter, he's going to begin to change in chapter 2. Individually, he'd been talking to him in, in chapter one, but now in chapter two, he's going to speak to him corporately. And what does that mean for you and I as a church? And what does it mean for the corporate body? But one of the things that Peter did, I wanted to look at, is what he did in um, chapter one, in verse one. He says to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So, so he uses these very interesting words. First of all, elect. First of all, you've been chosen. That's what it says there. And the sign that you have been chosen is when you believe the truth. When you believe the truth. But he called them elect exiles, so you've been chosen. And again, exiles, which means you're foreign, you're foreign to the land. That it is not your home. This is not uh, the place that you should be uh, settled in. This is not the place. And when we talk about this place, we're talking about earth. We're talking about um, in this place that we are in right now, that this is, should not be a place that you are acquainted with. It means you have been set apart for God when he talks about these elect exiles that we see here. And see, what God never meant uh, for you and I as exile is to be syncretous where we begin to mix and blend our uh, biblical uh, morals and values of, of Scripture and of Jesus Christ with the world. Because what happens then is we begin to compromise who God has called us to be when we begin to mix his values and his principles and who he is uh, with the world. So we, that's what we find happening when we become these syncretists that we see in the world. And we see it all throughout Scripture. Uh, the children of Israel would go and they would come up um, to their neighbors and they would begin to mix themselves uh, in their lifestyles. But exiles are called to a different story. Exiles are called to represent home. Like ambassadors um, who are in another country, they represent home. And that's what they're called to do. And that's what you and I are called to do. We are called to represent home. Heaven is home. So one of the biggest things that you need to understand is that you're an exile. Don't become settled here. Like, don't make this home. Don't become very acquainted with this. It changes your perspective on life when you understand that you're an exile. You're an exile. And that we are exiles here in the earth. In chapter 1, he begins to say you are new. So when you're in Christ and when you put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, you become new. In other words, God begins now uh, to make you new. He, you become a partaker of his new nature. 
And because you become a partaker of his new nature, you begin now to have new desires. And not only just new desires in your life, you begin to have a new capacity within you. And that's the, what God begins to do. He begins to transform you by the power of his spirit and who you are again um, by being new in him. So you're different. You're not like the world, right? So like we don't, like, we don't care about Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Somebody say, I do, right? <laughs> But, but no, no, those things, like we don't care about the home in Hollywood, right? Like what everybody's pursuing and passionate about in their life so they can have things and stuff like that. No, our desire is to the Savior. It's to Jesus Christ. Because we know that Jesus Christ is the one who, who makes us whole. We know that he is the one who's able to redeem all of the brokenness in our life. All of the hard times, the difficult times that we face and we live and we walk through, and it's like that Jesus Christ is the redeemer of all those things. And so that's who Peter was talking to. So let me say to this again. In Jesus Christ, we are brand new. We have a new capacity. We have a new beginning in life. I know when, when Jesus Christ snatched me, when he, he brought me out of the darkness into his marvelous light, it was the greatest day in my life. I remember just feeling the weight of the world lifted off of my life because of who he is and who he desired to be uh, in my life. Uh, and so it's not easy being in our culture today. Our culture is tough because as an exile, we live counter-cultural to, to, to society and to culture. We're, we're counter. It's like you're always going against the current as a Christian and as an exile here. But that's what we are called to do. We are called to represent him. And we are called to uh, know him. So what does that look like for us in this modern day? In this day of uh, social media and political upheaval, in this day of social unrest, uh, narrow thinking in regard to traditional, traditional values, what does it look like for you and us as exiles? Um, you know, people who are always just ostracizing our biblical beliefs in the person of Jesus Christ. And what does it look like on your job? And what does it look like in this day, again, as a Christian? Well, this is what Peter is calling us to do. You are to know that you are an exile and that you're different. And that the current you feel like that you're going up against every day in your life is not anything of the ordinary. It is what we are called to be in a land that is not home, in a land that is not home. That's what the Apostle Peter is saying here today. And so that's what we're going to focus at. We're going to focus on, again, a community of believers, because you're called as a community of exiles together to worship him. And what does it look like here in Culver City? What does it look like for the city of, of L.A. for collective church to be exiles representing home. So here, this is where we're going today, and it should be a slide up there for you. We're going to take a look at, again, um, how as a, a community of believers, as we come to him, what this should look like as we are here. What we're going to see is um, as we worship and we come together, we're going to see his presence and how he transforms us. And then we're going to take a look at our proclamation and how that informs others. And then we're going to take a look at his glory and how it brings us to our greatest pleasure. That's what we're taking a look at today as we jump into Peter. So here's my main point. This is what we, I want you to leave with this main point today. Exiles exist 
to proclaim Jesus for more exiles to glorify God. That's why you exist. This is what Peter is talking about. We exist for these reasons. But as we go through this, I really want to stress this to you and want you to know. You have to know that you are an exile. This is not your home. And you have to make up your mind about that, that that I'm an exile and I'm here and this is not my home. And, and, And I have to stop acting like a local and I have to stop acting like this is the place and get my eyes on heaven. It changes your perspective and it changes your life down here. And what we're going to see also is this, that our job as the church is to glorify God. And we see that here, because let's start here. Um, you're in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to take you first to verse number 9. So let's start at verse number 9. And this is what it says. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So you see that in verse 9. Right right here it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So this is telling us why we exist. Why you and I exist as a community of believers. We exist to make much of God. That's why we exist. As exiles here, we are claimed, we are called to make much of God. We exist, and that's what it says there. But notice how it identifies you. So this is your identity in Christ when we look at verse number 9. He says this, first of all, that you are chosen. You're chosen. See, this should be a game changer for you and I, that God chose you. And this word that is used here, it's as someone went to a fruit tree and was picking fruit, like, He chose you. Like, you didn't choose him. He chose you. If you remember what Jesus said to his disciples, he says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And that's a game changer because that means God himself literally took his hand and put it on you. That means your security is in him, that he's the one that's holding on to you. And because many times we're trying to hold on to God and we're trying to do things that's going to earn God's favor and we're going to try to uh, be in, in, in the best light that we can be for God. And, and, and we're called to holiness. Don't get me wrong on that. But here what it's talking about is our security that is in God because he put his hands on you. That's what he did. I remember uh, when my kids were small and they were growing up and I used to, you know, and parents do this. You all do this. You take your kid and you would, you know, you would grab them and you would swing them around. And, you know, and then sometimes when you were swinging around, you you start digging them, taking them real fast and real high. And you do, you know, you do that. And, and I remember one time I was doing that and I had my little daughter and I was going real fast with her. And I started doing all of that with her. And she's like, Dad, Dad, I'm going to lose grip on you. I'm slipping. I'm slipping. And I would say, don't worry about it. I got you. See, my hands are on you. I, I, I got a grip on you, and I'm not letting you go. And that's what God, listen, this is your identity in Christ as exiles, that he chose you, and his hands are on you, and he has you secure. And not only does he say that you are a chosen race, which means an, an Adam. So a new Adam under Jesus Christ, we are a chosen race. But he says you are not only a chosen race, but he said that you are a royal priesthood. In other words, Jesus Christ is a king. 
And now your identity in him is that you are part of a kingly line. No, a priesthood. The priest is the one in the Old Testament who served. You're part of a kingly, a kingly line that serves the king. That's what he says, that you're chosen, that you are a royal priesthood. And here it is, you're holy. Did you know that as exile, you are set apart for God? You belong to him. Like he has set you apart that he become known in the earth, that he become known in Culver City, that he becomes known on your job. He becomes known in your community. You have been set apart by him. That's, listen, it says a holy nation. The word nation there is the word ethnos. It means ethnicity. So it says that we are his holy people. That's what Christians are. God's holy people. And we are pursuing the things that he's calling us to pursue. You and I, who Peter is talking to, he's talking to a group of individuals who are pursuing holiness and who's pursuing God's call in their life because you have been called by him. And so many times um, we don't understand this, but that is our job as exiles. We are called to make much of God as exiles. Notice it says, proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness. See, Jesus Christ calls people out of darkness. Do you remember in the scriptures when Jesus stood before, um, he, he, he stood before, called people out of darkness into his marvelous light. He stood before the tomb and he called Lazarus. See, Lazarus was dead in his trespasses and sin. There's people who are around us are dead and they're dead in their trespasses and sin. And it takes Jesus Christ to call them out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is dark if Jesus doesn't call. And so he shows us here again that uh, while we exist, we exist in the identity that he has called us into, and that is that you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now I want you to take that in for a moment. You are a people of his own possession. His own possession. Now, think about God. God owns everything. Everything is his. And when it says for his own possession, it's talking about you as God's prized possession. You're his prized possession. And so when it makes this here that you are a people for his possession, this begins to help us to understand the concept of being God's possession in all of God's creation, in the, the beautiful oceans that we see, in the, the mountains that we see, in the, the beauty of this creation and this world, he says that you are his prized possession. Do you know God takes delight in you? He takes delight in who you are. It's just like a parent when you take delight in your child and you want to have pleasure in looking at your child and what they do. That's how God sees you. He takes delight in it that you are his uh, possession. And that's his treasured possession is the word uh, that can be used there. And, and the thing about this is because God is independent of needing anything, independent of needing anything to, make him ple- to, to bring him pleasure or have happiness in his life. 
Whereas it's different for you and I. Like, we be needing things, and we're trying to do things in our life. But when you understand that you are God's possession, when you understand that you are his treasured possession, it causes you to uh, uh, not sometimes do the things that you do. Because many times, this is what we're doing. We're trying to do things to satisfy our insecurity. We're trying to do things that will um, uh, satisfy our guilt or the, the fear that we may have in our life. Because we don't understand that we are, we are God's great possession. And until we understand that we are God's great possession, we'll keep doing things for ourselves, trying to do things ourselves to, to meet these different areas of our life until we understand that, that we are God's treasured possession. And we don't have to try to do certain things to feel valued and try to get rid of insecurity and fear in our life. That's what this scripture is telling us, that we are God joys over you. He loves you. He gets joy out of your life and who you are. That's what, it, that's what it's saying here when he says that we are his treasured possession. And this is something that delivers us again from our insecurities and our fear. Because you know the world, as exiles here, we, we listen to culture. We listen to what... Um, Twitter says, we listen to what Facebook and social media says and so many different things. You know, the world will tell you all kind of things about yourself. It'll tell you what? You're too tall, you're too short, or you're too fat, or you're too skinny, or you're not smart. The, the world will tell you all of these different things, and therefore now we're running in this race to try uh, to meet those things in our life when God says, no, 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 you're mine. You're my treasured possession, and you don't have to try uh, to meet those things. You are perfect in him and you're, because you are created by God. So we see here that God calls us into his identity, and our identity is in him. He called you. You responded to him by faith. You believe the gospel. You believe what God has said, and so now you walk by faith, rested in the whole weight of who God is and what he has said. So that's our identity in him. He called you into the light. That means that the scales may fall off our eyes and that we may see and that we get to understand uh, this life is what we're looking at. So in light of that, who your identity is in Christ, collective church, here's something to consider. Why are you here in Culver City at Collective Church. In your identity of who God has made you, one of the things that 1 Peter talks about is God sowing people into certain places. God has sown you here, Collective Church. He has sown you here for his glory, for you to make much of him in this place. So why are you here? So here's the takeaway as you consider this. If you are here to proclaim him, you are here to be available to him. You just have to make yourself available to him. And you will make much of God in this place. So now, we've taken a look at why we exist. We see here in verse 9, we exist to proclaim his excellencies, to proclaim his excellencies. And now we're going to take a look at, as, as we come to him, this church, this, this community of believers, let's take a look at, his presence. What do, we, what do we mean by his presence? 
and that he transforms us through his presence. Notice what verse 4 says. So jump to verse 4, and it says this, as you come to him. This word come here, uh, it's the Greek word for, that means to prostrate yourself before God. And when it says come, it's talking about the church here, and it's talking about the community of believers that you, as a community of believers, as you come to him. See, that's the privilege we have as Christians. We get to come to him, uh, the living stone. And so as you come and worship here as a church, how do you come? How do you come? Because this word come here is the, it's the Greek word for, uh, for, for, prost- for prostrating yourself before God, which means to, to level out yourself in reverence before him. So when you got up this morning to, to come to church, how did you come? How do we come as a community of believers to God? And one of the things that it's talking about here, again, is the worship of the church. There's a great significance on how you come. Do you come like, like, like God, you're going to be here. And what are you going to do? And you're going to meet people. This, what this text is telling us is there is something special that God does when the community of believers come together like no other place. Like no other place is what this verse is telling us. As you come to him, the living stone. That's what it's talking about here when it says, um, as you come to him. I remember as a child when uh, mama used to say, all right, it's time to go to church. And be like, oh, God, mama, go to church today. Heart was just not right before God growing up, right? But when you understand the significance of what it looks like and what it means to come to him and what God does in this worship setting and what he does with a community of believers. And notice what he says here. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Remember exiles. We're here. And it it talks about Jesus Christ being rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So here is God. He has uh, chosen Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is chosen and precious of God. He, he, he is God's Messiah. He is God, the one who will save the world from their sins. He's chosen by God. And so the scripture says, as a church, when we come, that, that we come to him. And it is him that is the living stone, not a dead stone, living, which means he is the one who gives life. He is the life giver that is talking about here. So it starts with coming to him. And unless we have come to him with the heart that's seeking to desire it, to know him and to exalt him, we're probably not going to get what we want to get out of coming to see him. But this is what the scripture tells us about the church. And this is what it tells us as exiles, that when we come together, there's something special that God wants to do here. What Peter is doing here in this text Peter is talking about, um, and he's making an illustration of what they did in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, um, people wanted to know where was God. And God was uh, in the temple. And the Bible talks about how God had called uh, Solomon to build a temple, and Solomon built a temple. And there were four things about Old Testament uh, worship that we would see from the Scriptures. And here are the four things that we would see from the Old Testament about Scripture. We would see, first of all, that God's name was there. His name was there in the Old Testament temple. And not only was his name was there, but his presence was there in the Old Testament scripture. 
And then also, not only was his presence there also, but what was there also was his redemptive symbols. In other words, uh, the priests would be there and they would sacrifice animals and animal sacrifice would be there in the temple. People would bring their goats and their lambs and they would be sacrificed there. And remember, that pointed towards Jesus Christ. Whenever blood, you saw blood shed in the Old Testament, it pointed towards the person of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. He is the one that is shown throughout all of Scripture. And we see again in the Old Testament again that the, um, that the priests sacrificed animals there that pointed towards uh, Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing that was there in the Old Testament temple was the priests, so the people of God. So that was what was in the temple in the Old Testament. And a matter of fact, God, again, his name was there. And it was very important, again, because people, the question was, how is God going to be made known in the earth? And it was God choosing Israel, and Israel would make God known in the earth. They would make God known everywhere they went because of the temple. And when they would set up the temple and how they would worship at the temple. When people were a hundred miles away uh, from the temple in Jerusalem and, and they wanted to worship, they would go, they would make a trek, a journey to uh, Jerusalem uh, to the temple to worship God. When people in the Old Testament wanted to pray, they would turn towards Jerusalem and pray. Why? Because God's name was there and God's presence was there. And so when you talk about where was God at in the earth, it was set up in Jerusalem. So now, when we take a look at that for you and I, as Peter has mentioned here, as you and I come to him in the church, this church is a place where God's name is. See, God's name is here. And not only is his name here, his presence is here. And if you remember in the Old Testament when the people of Israel gathered around Mount Sinai, uh, the presence of God came down and he met those people there. And God begins to do something special in the midst of a gathered group of believers who come together worshiping and serving him. And we've seen that from the Old Testament and we see that today. So as you come to him, you have to come, collective church, as someone says, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to church, but I'm a part of the church. I'm not just going to be a spectator, but I'm someone who's going to be serving God. Remember, you're a royal priesthood. You have the kingly line that serves the king. But when you're going to church, it's that I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of the body of Christ. And when we all come this way, God shows up in a grand way in the church. God begins to call people out of darkness. There are people who will come, and they're in the midst because God's presence is there. God has promised, right? So when you became a Christian and you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you were placed in Christ by the Spirit. The Spirit of God took you and placed you in Christ. But Christ also gave you his Spirit. Christ now was in you. And so now, in the, New, so in the Old Testament, it was about the temple where the presence of God was known and the name of God was known. So where is that today? How is God known today and where is he known today? He dwells within you. And whenever a community of believers come together, the presence of God is known amongst the people. It is known. 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and 19 says this. It says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God dwells in you? 
So as I look across this room today, I can't count really fast and really well, but I'm guessing it's probably about uh, 100 to 200 people in this room. Listen, God, his presence in, in, is in those who have believed and trust Jesus Christ. And so God's presence is here within you, and God is looking to do something special among his people when the community of believers uh, come together. There's no other institution, no other organization has this type of special presence and access to God. His presence is known. He becomes this do, to do this in his people when they gather together. So the new dwelling place of God is in his people. It was the temple in the Old Testament. But here, um, when we talk about the New Testament worship again, uh, God's name is there. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is there. His presence is here. His redeeming symbols are here. Uh, what is his uh, redeeming symbols here? It is a communion. We have communion here today. And when baptisms take place. And then God's priests, his pastors, his, his pastors and his leaders and his people are here. And so what we see here again is you, the church, is the new dwelling place of God as exiles. And his presence is known in the earth when there's the gathering of the community and believers who come together. God's presence is known. You remember when you showed up to somebody's church, they invited you there, and um, something began to transpire in your life? It was because the presence of God. It was because God was at work through his people. That's what God does. He worked through his people. And when you come to him, if you come saying, I'm a part of this body of church, I'm a part of collective church, and whatever collective church is going to be doing in this city, I'm going to be a part of that, and God is going to be at work. His presence is going to become known. So in Reno, in Livingstone's church, um, several years ago, uh, as the church, we began to, because uh, we're in the Midtown District down there, and we began to call, uh, bring together what we would call a Midtown Art Walk. And what that looked like was we wanted the businesses down there because the businesses weren't doing well, that place wasn't really flourishing, and the church, the community of believers came together and said, we want to see this Midtown area down here begin to flourish. So that first year, uh, we went to the businesses the businesses don't want to hear about Jesus. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. But what the church was doing was bringing the life of Jesus to that district. And so we went to the businesses, and it must have been at that time uh, maybe, you know, 30 or 40 businesses down there. And about seven responded and said, okay, we'll be a part of this. And what we did was we said we want to bring artwork into your business uh, from people in the community. And then also we want to have a, so we call it a Midtown Art Walk. And people would walk through the businesses and see the artwork, but also they would bring business to the business. So that's what we did as a church. And God saw a community of believers who came together, who was worshiping together, who was calling on his name together. And as we went through that community, God began to come down. He began to show up year after year. The last, we had this, we didn't have it last year because of the construction they had in the Midtown. But the last year we had it, over 75 businesses participated. Over five to 7,000 people came to that downtown Midtown district to walk through those businesses and see all the artwork and to give business to those businesses because God showed up because there was a community of believers who came together to make him known. To make him known. And that's 
Listen, when you, when you say as you come to him, as, as, as you at here at Collective, as you come to him and be passionate about what he's doing and what he wants to do here, God will come down. So don't just come to church, but come to church. Be a part of the church. Be a part of the work that God is doing here. So it says in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. You know what happens? Not only is his presence known, but he's transforming you. You're being built up is what that verse says. You're being built up um, in these uh, scriptures uh, as it is mentioned to us. And one of the things that God does is he builds up his people. There's a transforming work that happens in you when you are part of God's church, when you are part of the community of believers who come together to serve him and to worship him. You're being built up. God begins to, and, 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 and so in order to be built up sometimes, you got to be torn down. What do I mean by torn down? I mean, sometimes when we, when we come, when you became a Christian and you begin to come to church, and, you know, you had all of your, um, you know, ideologies and all of your um, um, worldviews and, and your perceptions on life. God then begins to try to break down some of that stuff in our life that in order that he may build us up. And that's what it's talking about here when it's talking about you're being built up. He begins to identify idols in our life, things that we have placed before him, things that we have been begin to pursue in our life rather than uh, pursue him. He begins to show us all of those things in our life. And so as we come to him, we are being, we're going to be built up by him. And God begins to do a great work in our life. And, and, and one of the ways he begins to build us up is this way. Notice what it says here. It says, that you are being built up as a spiritual house. This is God's house. Spiritual stuff happens here. Again, no other place, no other organization, no other Lord's gathering uh, has the access to God's presence and what he does in a Lord's gathering. No other place. God is at work in your life in the community of believers. Right? And there are many Lord's gatherings that people go to. Like, I'm a sports nut. I go to many games. And listen, when I go to a Raider game or if I go to a Kings game, let me tell you, there's nothing spiritual happening there, okay? <laughs> nothing spiritual. Uh, I might get my feet stepped on. I might get some folks uh, saying some uh, obscene things to me. Uh, they might be nice, you know, uh, but there's nothing spiritual happening in those gatherings. But in God's house, when, when we come together and, and when the worship Band is worshiping, and, and when songs are going forth, and God is, listen, he, he's filling this building because of his presence being accessible and known here. God is at work, and he's doing things in your life. He's doing things. This is a spiritual house where spiritual things happen, and God looks to do these type of things in our life. And that's what we see here when he talks about um, being built up in a spiritual house. Notice, to be a holy priesthood. You know what God has done here with each and every one else? When you become a Christian and when you trust Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, all Christians get gifts. 
And that's what it's talking about with the priest. Uh, that you are a holy, you are separated, you are a holy priesthood. In other words, in the Old Testament, the priests served in the temple. And they would do all the things that needed to be done in the temple. Where in the New Testament and in the church, the Bible calls all of us priests. And so you are a priesthood of believers. And, and, and there are different, uh, certain uh, descriptions that the Old Testament priest has, but there are descriptions that you and I have as priests. In other words, all Christians have gifts to, order, um, to offer to the body of Christ. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, uh, please give your gift and your talent to the body of Christ. Get, give what God has designed you to do in the church to the body of Christ. What is that going to do? It's going to make his presence known. It's just something about all the different gifts and talents that God has given unto you and I in the church. When they come together with the purpose of serving and worshiping him, what God begins to do in the local church as you come to him. His presence is known. God began to turn people like, it, it, I, I believe all of us as Christians go through this. Like, we begin to go to church. And, we, and at first, you know, when things are happening in the church, we're, we're sitting around, and we're just being observers. We're just looking, and we're looking like, ooh, that look weird. Well, why are that person doing that? They give, what, why are they giving their money? Why are, they, why are those people running around with those kids over there, and they're just crying and making all that noise back over there? Why? There are people in, why those people are in the parking lot and there are people, there are people greeting me when they come into this place. Why is that? Because God has given you a gift to be in a certain place in his church and in his body. And that's how God's presence is known again through the holy, being in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer what? Spiritual sacrifices that you and I are called to offer spiritual uh, sacrifices unto God. Um, some spiritual sacrifices. What are some spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God? Uh, Romans 12 and 1 says this, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. You give yourself to God. In the Old Testament, they would bring animals and they would offer them, but they would be killed, they would be dead. God says, you and I, that we are living we're breathing. Everybody in here breathing? Amen. Good. We're living. So we offer our bodies. We are living sacrifices that we give unto him. Not only are we a living sacrifice, we offer praise as a spiritual sacrifice to God. When the songs is going on, we worship him. That's one of our chief duties as believers is to worship and to praise God. Some righteous acts are spiritual sacrifices to God. We already talked, giving is a spiritual sacrifice to God. Evangelism, sharing the gospel is a spiritual sacrifice to God. Uh, sacrificially loving, the things that you do sometimes, you open your homes to people, you offer people certain things, you, all those things are offering spiritual sacrifice to God. Prayer, when we are in here praying, we are offering spiritual sacrifices unto God. And so God's presence is known in the church. And people are transformed by his presence. And then we see here, we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
And then he said, for it stands in Scripture. This is countercultural here. Behold, I'm laying a, 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 in Zion a stone. And we know that stone is Jesus Christ. The cornerstone chosen and precious. Like Jesus Christ is the stone that you must align everything to. The church must be built upon Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. The cornerstone causes everything else to align rightly. And all you have to do is be a community of believers who are worshiping and serving God. And Jesus Christ is the stone. He's the foundation that you're built upon. Everything else aligns correctly. It must be built upon him as the chief cornerstone, the one that's going to align on him. Many churches, Jesus Christ is not the foundation. He's not the chief cornerstone. And we're doing all kinds of things. We're trying to attract. We're trying to have sensitive services to attract certain type of people by doing all kinds of different things. I've gone into churches. They got balloons bouncing around in the church doing the service. I mean, just bouncing a balloon around, ride the word of God, the, 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 the living word of God is going on. They, they got these light shows trying to attract people. No, Christ, it must be built. He is the chief cornerstone. It must be built on him. He is the one that aligns everything. And so collective church must be built upon this cornerstone. This also speaks of the unity of the church. But it says the cornerstone chosen impression, and whoever believes in him would not be put to shame. So it is, verse 7 says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Many people reject him. Jesus didn't come the way people want Jesus to come. People are not. Um, submitting to his lordship over their life. They don't, they, don't, they don't want to hear the things that Jesus is saying, so they have rejected the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ said, I'm Lord of your life. The word Lord uh, means master, and that we follow him, that he's our savior. He's the one who has saved us uh, from our sins. He is the one. And so he is the stone that the builders rejected and has become the chief stone of stone. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So, our participation, he changes from absorbers, uh, observers to participants as we come to him. His presence is made known as we are a community of believers who look to him and believe in him. And finally, this, our proclamation of who Jesus Christ is because he saved us. Like he is the one, again, who called us out of the darkness. You and I, we were in darkness. Our lives were ruined, broken. And Christ, the cornerstone, because of the church, the exiles, the new dwelling place of God. You, you made the presence of God known. You became participants in the church of God. You heard the gospel. Do you see the gospel in this text? I want you to see the gospel in this text. Notice what verse 10 says. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 10 is a quote from Hosea 
from the book of Hosea, in Hosea chapter 2, where Hosea had this wife by the name of Goma. And Goma had um, left Hosea she, um, and been unfaithful to him. And she went and fell in love with someone else. And that someone else would abuse her and hurt her. And she left Hosea. And, here, and, and, and she had some children by Hosea. And the name of her children, one of them was Lo Am I, um, which means uh, not one of mine. And then Goma had another child by Hosea, which was named Not Loved. See, outside of the grace of God and outside of who Christ is, that's us. That's us in darkness. And the church, collective, we need you as a community of believers to make his presence known that the gospel may be heard. That was the name of those children there, not one of mine and, and not love. She was so unfaithful to him that she ran away. And here is God. This is a quote, verse 10. God comes back to Hosea, and God says to Hosea, go back and get Goma. And so now Hosea goes to get Goma, and he has to buy her. He has to purchase her. He had to pay to get her back. And so Hosea goes and he pays for her and he brought her back. And that's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, we were once not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, that's the gospel. Who does it sound like? It sounds like Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ was one who came in the person. God came in the person of Jesus Christ. And he paid a price. And he bought us back. You and I, who was none of him, none of his, you and I, who were not loved, God, through Jesus Christ, came and paid a price. And he bought us. And that's the good news of the gospel. That is the good news. That's, that's the grace of God extended towards you and I. And if we can grasp this gospel of who God is and what he's done for us, you and I as exiles, we would make much, we would make so much of God. We would speak of his excellencies. And so as we come to him, Let's make his presence known. Let's become participants in the body of Christ. That he may be glorified. His son Jesus Christ be exalted. And God receives all the glory. You might be here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't know that in Christ... He saves you. And that he paid a price. He paid a cost. That Christ came and lived the life that you and I were not able to live. Like, he was perfect. And he lived as man supposed to live before a perfect and a righteous God. And in Christ, we have perfection in him. And it didn't cost you and I anything, but it cost him everything. And that he bought us. And now, we are his people. And we have received his mercy. So as exiles, church, let us 
glorify and proclaim Jesus Christ, that there may be more exiles to glorify God.